You're listening to Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. All right, this week I am chatting with Chris Morocco and Sola L. Whaley from the BA Test Kitchen about how Bon Appetit is developing recipes this past month. Uh, as most of you know, we usually develop and test and test and test again uh, in our test kitchen on the 35th floor of the World Trade Center. And there's no shortage of feedback from editors and anyone else who happens to wander in the kitchen at any given day. Uh, but now that's obviously not possible. Uh, so I wanted to give you a behind the scenes look at how our food editors are continuing to do what they do best, but at home. After that, I call up Alex Delaney, who is on again to tell us what three drinks he's making right now, both given the circumstances and the time of year. All right, here is Chris and Sola. All right, Sola, let's just cut straight to the chase. Where are your dogs? Uh, Asleep. They've been bribed with some treats, so they don't hopefully bark too much right now. The whole point was to get them on the podcast. That's the only reason we had you on, so we could meet your dogs. Well, the cat might the cat might make some noise. There's going to be some animal noises in this podcast, guaranteed. Who runs the house, the cat or the dogs? The cat. That's always the answer. It's What's the cat's the cat. name? Lucifer. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Chris, how did we not know that? Did you know that? I didn't know that. I, it's like with Sola though. It's like it's like petals of an onion. You know, you just uncover <laughs> one additional layer every couple of days. You know, the cat's name is Lucifer. You know, you never know. <laughs> well, had I known that the cat's name was Lucifer, obviously I would have known that that Lucifer runs the house. Chris, obviously in your house, it's your two kids that call the shots, correct? Yes. Oh my gosh, they're they're driving the boat uh, today and every day, and it's been a rough day. Like rainy as they come bit of a Monday, you know, at the best of times here. And uh, yeah, I have them bribed with a show and uh, the cat is sort of curled up peacefully right behind them and everybody's playing nicely for the minute. So big difference between coming to work at the World Trade Center and you're in this 2000 square foot kitchen with every pot and pan and spice that you need. Uh, You guys are now in your home kitchens with spouses and kids and pets and everything. Solo, what's been the biggest challenge for you? just getting organized i think i'll i'll just i'll have a plan at the beginning of the day and then it never it never goes according to plan you know like today my pie melted i thought i'd take beauty's your pie yeah, melted i i forgot to put an oven thermometer in there so i think the temperature wasn't right and then the crust just chris what about you cooking and freeing up the space to cook is you know, con- a constant challenge. But the hardest part has been when I want to take a great photo of something. It's like the stars really have to align. Like to Sola's point, it can't be the day that your crust decided to slump like right off, you know, like into the abyss of your the bottom of your oven. It can't be a day where you you have to be on like kid duty the entire day. It's like, I need like the daylight. I need to go out into my backyard. I need the food to look right at the right moment. I need to like have my entire setup. And I found that, you know, with certain dishes, Um, Like I've been doing a lot of stuff with spring produce and you have to start thinking like a stylist to get the best possible photo. Let's talk about that because typically when we're at work, you guys develop the dishes in the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. And then there's a photo department uh, with professional photographers and prop stylists and food stylists who take that recipe and then bring it to life in the form of a photograph. Now that we're all at home, you guys are the photographers, the prop stylists, the food stylists. Um, you're like a one-man band. How has that been working? Uh, you Go ahead, Sola. 
well prop stylist i have a prop so that's <laughs> that's fine we got that locked down um today is cloudy no photos happening today i don't know it's just it's just uh i've realized it's a lot harder than i ever imagined to just like make like ha- hard hell. Well, I don't look at like every snow pea when I'm plating something. I just want to make it taste good and get it on the plate. But when you look at it through the lens of the camera, you suddenly realize, oh, that mint leaf is wilted. This snow pea looks crooked. Uh, this plate isn't as clean as I thought it would be. Um, so just, I guess I need to like slow down when I'm plating a little bit more because all of the flaws are magnified on camera. You have to build your dish in the dish on the set the way a food stylist would. You can't really, you know, put the soup in the bowl back in the kitchen and then walk it outside, Yeah. you know? I mean, it would be nice if we could, but unfortunately that's just like not how great food photography works, right? It's like you need to construct your dish, you need to construct each plating of something, and then you have this window of time, you know, clock is ticking, you know, the 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 colors are going to be vibrant and pop for some window of time and then you're going to start to lose it, you know. What are some of the dictates you receive from the photo department in terms of how to shoot for a website like bonapetit.com? The biggest thing for me was simply the idea that we need to shoot everything landscape and portrait. Like, I know that sounds silly, but if you are somebody who uses Instagram and you use your iPhone camera or whatever, you know, your phone camera on your phone, chances are you're used to thinking of food like as a vertical kind of proposition. But um, a lot of the crops we need for our websites are, you know, landscape sort of orientation. And that means you need to sit there and get both orientations. And And I know that sounds like, okay, well, that's just easy. You just turn your phone. But man, you'd be surprised how easy it is to forget, you know, like taking like multiple orientations of something. So there was a lot having to do with like kind of leaving negative space um, when you're taking a photograph, making sure they can see plenty of surface so that they can crop in with different dimensions and different sort of aspect ratios. But then, yeah, just a simple fact of a landscape. And you had mentioned taking your food out to your backyard. Are you guys trying to shoot everything in natural light? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Sola, but I, I have to. Like the the light in my apartment, you know, like I don't have like any kind of lighting setup, you know, so we're really beholden to, to natural light, whether that's like a great window location indoors or really in my case, like it's got to be outside. So the weather has to definitely cooperate. One day, like the wind was sort of like blowing chili flakes off of my <laughs> plate into my eyes all over my surface. Um, it was it was pretty extreme. <laughs> Which photos, just so the the listener can get a sense of what it's like for you guys to shoot something at home, and then I know you work with Laura Murray in our photo department to help sort of tune up the, the finished product. What photos are up now on site that each of you have shot that the listener can go take a peek at? I don't think anything yet from me. I think soon you're going to see some dumplings. That was fun because I had to get my husband to help me. Um, he was the chopstick hand model. And then it was, it's kind of interesting trying to like get the right angle to somehow like get where he is, get the camera where he is. Chris, what about you? Anything up on site right now the, the listeners can check out? What I have done, let's see, spring hot and sour soup. That's up on that Healthy-ish. That was up on Healthy-ish. And then I did um, a pantry pasta recipe that was tied to the YouTube videos we did of all of us doing pantry pastas. That's going to be on um, basically, I think it's going live today, but it's like a pantry pasta with anchovies and peas. And then, yeah, I have this oxtail recipe I'm going to be working on from Chef um, Kwame. 
on watching. Yep, at uh, Kip and Kin. So yeah, I'm excited to get going on that. But everything's been slow, you know, getting to groceries, the stuff that we need has been slower. We have to plan so far ahead. So it's not just the weather. It's like literally what's in the fridge. Typically, Sola, you are someone, how should I put this? Um, You can be rather meticulous with your testings and you can go through multiple iterations of a dish till you get to a point that you're content with it. So I know you've been developing this. Is it a peanut butter and jelly pie? Is that correct? I've been developing this pie for from before quarantine like it feels like i spent my entire (laughs) life making this pie and i don't know why so are you just ordering lots of peanut butter through i've been through five jars of peanut butter thing or five jars of peanut butter my husband (laughs) just got 60 ounces of frozen fruit this morning from target it's due on thursday wish me luck (laughs) how how many versions of the pie have you created So I guess the hardest thing is because I don't have everyone's feedback, I just keep going back and forth. So I made some hand pies and then I did some pop tarts with an icing and then I did a pie pie. And then for fun, I just thought I'd try a slab pie. But I think, Chris, I think pie, pie, regular pie might be the way to go. Really? So this is so interesting (laughs) because this recipe and like this development process has taken a journey that really started you know back at one world trade center like six weeks ago i want to say and i feel like we've been sort of responding almost in real time with this recipe to like what's going on in the world in terms of like the makeability of it right so like at first like this was like okay this is like kind of an opportunity to do something that's like not crazy difficult but like a little bit more of a showstopper you know maybe there's like a kind of fruit meringue situation happening on top a lot of color and then it was like ratcheted right back to whoa whoa, whoa. this needs to be like a hand pie like literally make some dough slap peanut butter you know slap some some jelly in there close it up boom done so i think it's been interesting to sort of see the evolution of this recipe and you know how it's almost like kind of just responding to like what do we think people are up for now you know do they need a project or do they just want something that's kind of simple and delicious you know you know what i think chris <laughs> i think that there's that saying or whatever like it's not about the destination it's about the journey i think with sola the recipe is always about the journey you leave no stone unturned i have to make it as bad as possible i need to get to like the depths of hell before I can see the light. I, I like... <laughs> where, you're, where your cat Lucifer Yeah, basically. Basically, I think that if I don't like try it with all of the flowers and know what's terrible, then I just don't feel good about it. Chris, one of the most important things about the BA test kitchen, the way you, the way you run things over there, is that there is constant feedback. There are tastings. You and other editors chime in when your colleagues are creating a dish and you give constructive criticism to improve that dish. There are no tastings now. What are you doing? We're we're in communication, although I have to say with this peanut butter pie, I feel like Sola's kind of like been like lost in the depths on her own a little bit. I, I would like to think that like, you know, if we were all in the test kitchen together, maybe we'd be able to kind of get her from A to B, you know, or A to A to D a little bit sooner. But, you know, we're kind of looking at things and we're kind of in a lot of communication about, you know, visually, visual based, right, um, about each dish and how it's coming along. 
But to your point, Adam, yeah, I mean, sometimes like you kind of have to go where the recipe wants to lead you and you have to try those different permutations. And some dishes, I think like they really only ultimately like some recipes, they really only want to be one thing, you know, and you know what that destination is like a, a BA's best chocolate chip cookie. Like you kind of know the characteristics in advance and you kind of have an idea in your head of what you're going to see. But this is one of those recipes like peanut butter and jelly pie, like what what does that mean, you know? And what do we want that to mean for people? Yeah, I feel like that's one of these dishes, and I think you've gone down this road before, Solo, where you you or one of the other editors comes up with a, an, a name, an idea. You're like, ooh, that sounds good. Peanut butter and jelly pie. Yes, let's make it. But then you're like, oh, wait, but what is it? And that's when you start on this journey. Like, well, it could be this or it could be that. Is it a sort of a custardy thing or a mousse sort of thing? Is it frozen? Is it all these things? Is it baked? And yeah, I guess and you got to go Should through Should it be frozen? I haven't tried <laughs> no, frozen Sola. yet. No, Sola. No, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> like an no ice freezer. cream pie. That sounds no so freezer. good. No, no, no. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I like that with like a little like sort swirl. of j- like jelly, jelly swirl, swirl on the top. Yeah, exactly. Think, Adam, Chris? we're not going to see like her a, for a week. A frozen <laughs> peanut butter, frozen peanut butter mousse, graham cracker crust, jelly swirl on top. That sounds great. Or it could even be a white bread toasted white bread crust right oh wow for the bread wow sprinkled with sugar and you and you fla- you flash bake it or whatever pre-bake it so the sugar gets a little crystallized and then you put in the peanut butter that mousse. sounds good what do you think about that chris, chris? What do you oh think? my god chris is like you too well it's like you, you you've got like peanut butter lover number one and then like peanut butter quester you know like over <laughs> here it's like the two of you <laughs> there need to be rules I mean, there's nothing i literally there need to be limits <laughs> When I was a little kid, like age four or so, maybe, um, I was diagnosed with the quote unquote peanut butter problem from my doctor <laughs> that apparently I was eating too much peanut butter and that he told me I needed to cut down. And then my brothers and sisters have been making fun of me for now 40 some years <laughs> about having a quote unquote peanut butter problem. All right. So both of you guys are married. How much do your spouses play the part of the tester, taster, sort of opinionator with your recipes? Tons tons i think i have an advantage because my husband's a chef so it's almost like you get a two for one does he try to be gentle with you sola or is he like ruthless or what sort of judges very blunt and very direct um everyone at the test kitchen is very gentle uh and they'll kind of be like this is great and this they'll give you the sandwich compliment you know compliment sandwich compliment criticism compliment he doesn't waste time with the compliment he's just like this is bad this is weird you gotta fix this so it's like really helpful Chris, what about you? Uh, my wife does taste stuff sometimes, but like she's very much in like the healthiest world. If it doesn't kind of fit neatly, you know, into that kind of paradigm of like a little lighter, little, you know, more seasonal, fresh, she's kind of like, eh, like she's not helping me out with oxtails, you know? She's <laughs> like, you know what? You figure that out on your own, honey. <laughs> Tell you what, if you can FedEx me some of Kwame's oxtails, because I watched the Insta yeah. story of him on Bonapetit.com, uh, Bonapetit's Instagram, uh, they looked amazing. Yes. So not only is there the issue of tasting and opining on the dishes, there's also the matter of eating the dishes. Now, Silva, you a couple weeks ago mentioned the fact that you were, I believe, cross-testing the chicken parm recipe, BA's best chicken parm recipe that Molly Boz and I were developing, and you were... Con- you somewhat, I'm not going to say insultingly, but you mentioned that you've got this refrigerator <laughs> full of chicken parm and you didn't know what the hell to do with it. it I, that, that, that recipe makes so much parm, so much chicken parm. Could you give it away to your One neighbors recipe. or what'd you do with all of it? Yeah, I did. 
I gave it to the neighbors. Which under self-quarantine rules, you can leave it on their step. Food does not transfer coronavirus. So I think that's a safe, sensible thing to do. Chris, do you, do you approve? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you know if your neighbors are willing to take it, you know, absolutely, um, pass it on. I I, I do uh, like. I mean, for me, it has been very um, you know challenging at times to know that like, okay, here I am like about to embark on like some recipe development that like my kids aren't going near. But then again, like what like what would they want? Like oh, it's like a grilled cheese primer. You know what I mean? Like a chicken finger. You know, kind of like feature. <laughs> So, you know, I think you just. I I love this. I love the sound of both of those. They're both designed. (laughs) Thought you might. Um, But yeah, no, I'm just like, I'm very mindful of the fact that like, you know, when I cook at home, I always try to sort of play to the middle and get something, you get a result that everybody will be somewhat happy with. The way we cook in the test kitchen is different, right? You know, and usually we have our colleagues there to kind of like Delaney, you know, to hoover up like all the leftovers and pass through multiple <laughs> times a day. But we don't have that luxury, you know, at home. Do you guys enjoy not getting the side eye from Andy Barragani because you didn't like mince some herb finely enough or something? <laughs> I miss it. I miss the side eye. Oh, I miss it. I've been looking at Andy literally every day, you know, pretty much for like four years. And I definitely, definitely miss it. I mean, Andy, you know, and Sola and like everybody else in the kitchen, like they they are my sounding boards. You know, knowing what they think about something sometimes helps you just triangulate, right? You know, like kind of where something is. Yeah. Can we talk dishes? Doing the dishes? I got a full sink already. I mean, that's, I don't want to say the best part of your job, but you guys, we, God bless Sonia, who does the dishes, works the dishes, among other things, the BA kitchen. But did, did you ever take for granted the fact that there is someone who does the dishes for you? No, never. Sonia's the most important part of the BA test kitchen, and I've always known. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's so important because honestly, all I have to do is, is come home to experience what it's like not to have somebody do the dishes for you. Um, and yeah, so I, I get that dichotomy pretty much every day. And uh, it's, it's huge. It means you can work so quickly. You can fly through five or six things in a day, no problem. So at home, it's like if you do some two, two dishes in a day, like that's actually like a pretty full day by the time, you know, you stop to like feed people, feed yourself all the rest of it do you have a dishwasher solo i do but i don't trust it so we're a hand washing what do you mean you don't trust it (laughs) i just don't believe that it's gonna be better than me at washing that is literally the most sola thing that has ever happened like sola has a dishwasher but doesn't trust it she knows she'll do a better job so she doesn't use it (laughs) omg uh chris what about you oh yeah i mean i have a dishwasher i mean honestly like our old apartment that we moved out of about a year ago um part of why we did like a big kitchen renovation was just to like put a dishwasher in but then everything else just fell like dominoes and before you know you're in it up to your neck you know like basically like redesigning an entire space all because you're like Hey, what would it take to get a dishwasher in this place? Um, so, but even with a dishwasher, the amount of dishes that pile up when you're cooking is always astounding. So, for you guys to happen to be doing multiple iterations of a dish a day, a week, I can imagine that's a lot. Um, okay, so for you listeners out there, uh, you can check out Chris's spring hot and sour soup up now on Healthy-ish. Coming soon, well, his, his pantry pasta should also be up with anchovies and spring peas. Uh, and a oxtail dish that Kwame and Wachi demoed for us on Insta Stories uh, looks amazing. Working on that, Sola, PB and J pie sometime in spring, spring of twenty two. Is that fair to say? 
that sounds about right. And those dumplings with the lacy edges look amazing. So check those out. All right, Sola, thank you so much. Thank you. And Chris, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Alex Delaney, I, I could use a drink right about now. Oh, yeah? I mean, I, it's, been, it's been a rough few weeks, yeah. I would agree with you there. What are you serving these days? Well, just to give some context here, I am not at my New York City apartment with my full bar. Um, I am at my parents' house in South Jersey outside of Philadelphia, um, and their bar is close to non-existent, but I brought a bunch of stuff from my bar. My dad came up to scoop me in his car, and I filled a tote bag with a small selection of my bar uh, stuff. So I, I have part of my bar here. I, I like that. Some people bring like books and things like that. <laughs> you just immediately <laughs> go for the home bar, stocks up with tote bag. Let me ask yeah. you a question. If you don't mind me prying a little bit, what kind of drinkers are your parents? Um, my parents are not big drinkers at all. Um, so w- when I was in high school, uh, I think I saw my parents like tipsy maybe three times in my life and my dad was the type of person that would always have a glass of wine with dinner my mom would always have a glass of wine but besides that not much else so I after I went to college all of a sudden my dad was like oh I guess I gotta get my act together and his big thing became drinking gin and tonics he became a big gin guy uh, oh, I guess to, okay. to to maybe maybe to uh you know keep up with me I don't know you know they're they'll have two drinks max has your dad been sort of intrigued or inspired by your affinity for, for the world of mixology? Definitely, definitely. My mom is more of a cocktail person. My dad is more of a wine person. So my mom has been into trying cocktails. My dad, um, I've, I've kind of pushed him towards the natural wine game, and he's been, uh, he's been pretty receptive to that. Oh, very cool. So when you're making new things, new drinks, like you, we're going to talk about on this episode, is yeah. your mom receptive to trying new cocktails? Totally. Yeah, my mom has actually been uh, a bit of an Amaro convert. I've been making some Amaro and sodas for her. She's been into those, um, which you know makes me pretty happy. All right, so let's talk. Three drinks. Three? Are we doing three drinks today? Let's do three. I shouldn't say I, but we at Bon Appetit refer to this time of year as Sprinter. Uh, not quite <laughs> spring, not quite winter. It, you look at, like, you pick out your iPhone, and you see, like, the weather for the next week, and you're like, really? 48, 46, rainy, rainy, maybe a little sunshine, 48. You're just like, oh, God, can we please get through this? So what, what are you drinking this time of year, which is such a weird in-between time of year? Sure. Um, and, and it is that th- it's like the cocktail menu kind of matches exactly with the weather forecast. Sometimes I'm going deeper, you know, more bitter or warm drinks. Sometimes I'm going super light, uh, citrusy. It, it's kind of day to day here. But on the warmer days, uh, and this is actually I want to take one step back and just say that when I was packing up my tote bag with my bar stuff, I was thinking about versatility. So like bringing things that I can drink one straight up, but two also in a cocktail. And I think that also is a pretty good buying strategy right now. If you're ordering booze, um, if there's a delivery service in your uh, area, whatever, um, I think that you should think about buying things that you can drink two ways, one straight up, whether that be on the rocks or neat, um, and two mixed into a cocktail. So that was kind of the thing that I was thinking about 
before um, I, I came down to my parents while I was packing up my tote bag. Okay, yeah. So the first cocktail uh, that I've been making is kind of a Negroni. I've been calling it a Negroni Alt, um, basically just using the classic Negroni formula, one to one to one, gin to uh, Campari to sweet vermouth. But the thing is, it's really adaptable, easily adaptable. Um, so I do not have sweet vermouth right now. Um, I've been using a wine-based um, Amaro instead. So I've been using uh, Kochi uh, Vermouth Amaro. Uh, Chinar also works well, but basically something that's wine-based and, well, red wine-based there with some kind of botanical. And then instead, I have plenty of gin here, but to switch it up, I've been using any kind of clear botanical spirit. So that could be gin. I have this really cool uh, liquor from Italy called Licore Strega, which means witch liquor, uh, which is like this weird yellow botanical liquor. Um, I've been using Mezcal. So basically anything in that botanical spirit plus anything in that vermouth E category plus anything in the bitter orange category. So you could use Campari. I have Campari, but I also have um, a bitter orange liqueur from a place in Chicago called Tattersall. Um, so basically like the, the Negroni formula is really easily modular. So I've just been going that one to one to one, all different things. Right now, mine is the Kochi Vermouth Amaro Licori Strega instead of gin and bitter orange from Tattersall instead of Campari. But you can use right. really whatever you have. Couple questions. Is this something you can mix in the glass or do you feel like you need it in a shaker to stir it and then strain it into a glass? I think you can totally mix it in the glass if you want to. It's served over ice if you just want to take like the back end of a spoon um, and stir in your glass. I think that works totally fine. I also just do it in a pint glass or uh, the bottom of a shaker. You can really use whatever you want. Uh, you can be as fancy or amateur as you want. But you would theoretically put it in a pint glass or a shaker, stir it to get it really cold, and then pour it over ice. Yes, and then strain it into a glass filled with ice. Not to be like word police guy, but I think it's Koki, not Kochi. Oh, Koki, yes, 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 yeah. you are correct. It is Koki. Okay, that sounds delicious. And you do it with a little orange peel as a accoutrement? Yes, I do it with a little orange peel. Uh, sometimes I like to mix it up and do lemon, you know, live on the edge a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but you can, you, can do, you can do whatever you want. Throw what you know. Okay, I like the sound of that. Uh, all right, so that's one. What do we got next? Two is a super classic, super simple cocktail, um, the Tom Collins. Uh, it's a gin-based cocktail. Basically, the formula is two ounces of gin, uh, half of an ounce of simple syrup, and one ounce of lime or lemon juice. Um, for me, I've been using two ounces of Tanqueray. My, my dad is a Tanqueray guy. That's what we have here. I've been doing, yeah, of course, half an ounce of simple syrup, which is the sweet part. And then I have been doing, instead of one ounce of just lemon or lime, I've been doing half an ounce of lime and half an ounce of lemon. Um, so basically, you mix that all up. Uh, you can stir it just right in your glass uh, and then top it with soda water. You just need a little splash of soda water. It's not anything crazy. Um, and your glass should be totally filled with ice. But the cool thing about this, too, obviously, this is like a lighter leaning cocktail. This is for the warmer days, I would say. The cool thing here is that that's kind of the base, and that works really well as a straight-up cocktail. 
but you can also add things in like cucumber or berries or a slice of mango if you have mango or some mm. kind of other citrus uh, or mint or celery leaves. So it's kind of like a base canvas to work with and then you can add in or garnish with whatever you want to kind of take it in different directions. I like that for the here and now in terms of we have certain ingredients on hand and those are we have what we have and we got to make do with them. Uh, so the fact that you can be flexible I think is really cool. Couple questions: Traditional Tanqueray or number ten or? I right now I'm using traditional Tanqueray, but okay. The the thing about a Tom Collins is the the flavor of the gin is really the backbone of that cocktail. So you can use whatever kind of gin you have. If it's something that leans more botanical, like um, say you have Hendrix. Uh, if it's something that leans more like classic dry London gin, something like Beefeater, or if you want to go somewhere in between something like Plymouth. Um, you can really use whatever you have. Question about simple syrup. In yeah. terms of, I've made it in the, I guess, traditional way where you take, you know, say half a cup of water, half a cup of sugar, bring it to a boil until it dissolves into a syrup and boom, you've got simple syrup. Um, yeah. I've also in a pinch done it where you put both like in a container and you just shake it really hard. Totally. Is that okay? I, I will say that is 100% okay, and cocktail nerds will probably give me a little bit of shit for that, but I am the type of person that will take a little pint container, like a you know washed uh, Tupperware takeout situation, um, and just do half a cup, half a cup, put the lid on, and just shake the hell out of it for like 30 seconds to a minute. Um, and as, as long as it's dissolved in there, it's pretty much okay, uh, as and long as there's no... And you're using basic white sugar at that point, correct? Yeah, yeah, plain white sugar for that. I also think that's great like if you're going to a, a picnic or something and you don't have a stove with you, but you're like, hey, I got some water, I got some sugar, I'm going to make some simple syrup. Yeah, you can make it literally wherever, on the, your front stoop, in your kitchen, in your bed, wherever you're making your cocktail, you can make simple syrup <laughs> pretty damn easily. Okay, so, all right, so we went something kind of nice and... I would say warm in, in flavor with the Alt Negroni. We went something nice and bright and springy with the Tom Collins. And for the yep. third entry, where are you taking us? So third entry is kind of that bridge between the two. It can be super light or it can go a little warmer and deeper. And this is a cocktail that I know our uh, cocktail columnist on basically Al Culliton is very fond of. I am very fond of it. It is it's one of the cocktails that the world has done quite the disservice to um and it is the daiquiri i feel like the daiquiri in its original incarnation was this well-respected cocktail and yes. its name has sort of been dragged through the mud and it's thought of as this sugary spring break sort of disgusting drink can you school us on the daiquiri and the history of the daiquiri sure so yeah you're totally right the daiquiri has just been like loaded with crazy fruit syrups and like topped with like these wild things the strawberry daiquiri has kind of become i guess the most popular but places like chains like senor frogs or stuff like that <laughs> have really just given the daiquiri which is a, an amazing classic cocktail a really terrible modern spin but the daiquiri is essentially you know we at BA love the margarita. If you look at it objectively, the daiquiri is essentially a rum margarita. It falls into that sour. sour. A sour is a kind of one of the families of cocktail, uh, and that is just booze, something sour, so citrus juice, and something sweet, so simple syrup. 
But the cool thing about the daiquiri and using rum in that uh, kind of cocktail family is that you can use both dark or light rum. So if you want something that's a little bit warmer, heavier, richer, more intense, maybe for the colder day, you can use a dark rum. Uh, if you want something that's a little bit brighter, lighter, sunnier for those warmer days, um, or sorry, the, the first was for the colder day, uh, and, and the second is for the lighter day. So the formula is also super simple. It's two ounces of rum, um, whether you use light or dark, the, the uh, amount there doesn't change. One ounce of lime juice, and then half an ounce of rich syrup. So we were just talking about simple syrup, and that ratio is one part sugar to one part water. With rich syrup, with the daiquiri, you want something a little bit sweeter, just a touch, not that Senor Frog's level of sweet. But here you use two parts sugar to one part water. Um, Okay, I have questions. Yeah, of course. Why... A lot of questions. Why do I want something sweeter if, in my mind at least, rum itself is sweeter than, say, tequila? And then the next question is, am I just imagining it, or is dark rum sweeter than white rum? Okay. Well, first part of the question, one, a daiquiri does lean a tiny bit sweeter than a margarita. That's just the nature of the cocktail. But the rum you're using kind of dictates how sweet you want it. So yes, if you're if you're thinking of dark rum as a little bit sweeter, it is, but that's kind of based in the level of sugar and also kind of based in how your brain perceives the flavors of dark rum. So we could say that bourbon is sweeter than vodka, right? Part of that is true. But another part of that is based on how the uh, liquor itself is treated. So dark rum is aged in a barrel, and it takes on that barrel quality, some of a little bit of smokiness, sweetness, flavors of like cinnamon and vanilla, oak, and then the actual like visual cue, the darkness of the rum makes your brain think that um, it's sweeter. But in reality, it's all those other flavors that are going into the rum. So all of that barrel quality that makes it taste sweeter, but it kind of just brings another level of flavor that kind of tricks your brain into thinking that it's sweeter. Okay, next yeah. question. Do we want to stay away from spiced rums for the deck? Are we not messing with the captain, for instance? Um, you could use captain, totally. Like, I, I think that... I mean, Captain is not my favorite rum in the world, but at its heart, it is a dark rum. You could you could use Captain. Uh, if you use something like crazy spiced, like uh, kind of a blackstrap style rum, which is made using really intense molasses, then it could it could mess with the flavor a little bit. But if it's just your basic uh, dark rum, I think you're fine. Okay, so let's say you're making daiquiris for you and your mom tonight sure what kind of what kind of rum are you making and walk me through the actual process to make it okay sure right now we have um appleton estate dark rum that's probably what i would use so you would go two out well i would go two ounces of appleton estate one ounce of lime juice um, and when you're doing the lime juice you want to uh i like squeezing it with my hands because it kind of introduces more of the oils from the uh, rind of the lime and that kind of just like ups the flavor a bit. Um, so one ounce of lime juice and then 
half an ounce of this rich syrup. And when we're talking about the sugar that I'm using in the rich syrup, if you only have plain white sugar, that's fine. But traditionally, you would use a demerara sugar here. And that is kind of the bigger grain, darker amber color. If you've seen like sugar in the raw, that's mm -hmm. technically demerara sugar. And if you're using that kind of sugar, it is best to actually heat it over the stove. It dissolves it better. Um, it makes it more of a homogenous uh, liquid. Okay, so, I, think, I think one thing I learned from you during our segments yeah. is that when you have a cocktail that involves both a liquor and citrus and perhaps a sweetener, yeah. that's when you shake it as opposed to stir it. Is that correct? Totally. So my baseline rule and kind of the law in the cocktail the kingdom if you will it is the cocktail law if there is juice in your cocktail it should always be shaken and that is because you can't properly um, introduce the juice to the liquor and have them create one harmonious liquid if you're just stirring shaking it around in a shaker with ice and hitting it against the walls of the shaker that is what really kind of dissolves the liquids and totally incorporates them into one homogenous liquid. So yeah, if you have any juice at all in your cocktail, you should definitely be shaking it. I assume you've doubled the batch in the shaker for you and mom. You've shaken yeah. it furiously so the shaker's all like frosty and cold on the outside. Yeah. Are you then serving it up or are you doing it over the rocks? I am serving it up, but you can do it over the rocks. It's really just what you want it to be. If I'm using like the dark rum, I'm gonna serve it up just because I think there's more flavor to work with. I don't wanna water it down. If I'm using a light rum, I'll serve it over the rocks just because I think it can handle a little bit of, a little bit more dilution. Uh, it's a lighter kind of flavor and yeah, it, it can handle the ice. Do you do a garnish? Um, I do do a, gar a garnish. I like just a little uh, wedge or wheel of lime. Nice. Uh, what time is cocktail hour tonight? <laughs> cocktail hour tonight. We're looking maybe six o'clock on the dot. I like the sound of that. Alex Delaney, thank you so much for joining us. And we will speak to you again when the weather is warm and beautiful. Deal? Deal. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.